Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I am JT, and today with me, I have the honor of having the open mat physios. And I have Diana and my good friend Chris, and we're going to get into it today on what it's like to be a physio, a jiu-jitsu practitioner, and living the life here in Los Angeles, USA. Welcome. Thanks, JT. It's awesome to, to be here, and uh, we really thank you guys for having us on. Yeah, thanks, JT. It's really a pleasure to be here. The way I want to start off is usually the way I do with um, most of our guests because we all have this jiu-jitsu journey, right? And you guys both practice jiu-jitsu, so it's, it's interesting to me to understand how you came to jiu-jitsu because for some people, it, it's, it, it can be weird and wild ways. So it's just understanding how you guys came to jiu-jitsu and then how that ties in with being a physio. I'm going to let Chris start. I feel like he has a more interesting story than me, but... Um, Okay, yeah. So uh, I have been training for maybe 18 years now and kind of an off and on story. I'm 28 right now and I started jujitsu back in the 90s when I was a kid. My dad, yeah, my dad got me into it because, you know, the UFC was going on and my dad had gotten his black belt in um, Shotokan karate and he was like oh I need to do this jiu-jitsu thing and once he was a purple belt he was like oh man I got to get my kids into this so me and my sister were doing it for a while and my sister was like no I don't want to do this anymore and <laughs> I kept going and I, w- I started at the Gracie University like the main oh, main wow. thing because it was in Torrance California where I lived and I remember as a kid, like uh, Grandmaster Elio, like petting my head. He was walking around, and oh. Halleck was my first teacher. He was a purple belt, and I was, you know, just a little kid, white belt running around and stuff like that. So uh, I stopped when my parents got divorced uh, and had been practicing. I was like a yellow belt at the time. And then a couple years later, I met uh, Jean Machado, who is uh, oh, yeah. of the uh, Machado brothers. That's John Machado, who is the, the youngest of the five. His son and I are the same age. And oh. so we were going to school together and we were playing soccer and uh, John Machado and my dad were just kind of talking it up a couple of soccer dads or football for all the uh, other listeners and uh, <laughs> they were like oh what do you do uh, I do jujitsu and stuff and so my dad was or, you know they just talked it out and so we did a couple lessons in uh, our garage because we ended up living nearby and then when they opened up a school a couple years later like hey Chris get back into jujitsu you know I was like oh cool so uh, I took a like you know almost 10 year gap really from doing jiu-jitsu and since I was 16 till now I haven't stopped I uh, got my black belt when I was 22 and uh, I've just been training ever since but I've been moving around I've been teaching a lot and it's been an awesome journey I've met a lot of people a lot of good friends and luckily you know being at ADCC I've got to meet you in person a lot of see a lot of old friends I haven't seen from all over the world so it's, it's been pretty great oh, yeah that's awesome uh Man, that's like some deep history right there. Yeah, like it goes back a while. Yeah, amazing. It's, it's like it's 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 not often that you. Some people get inspired by what happened in the '90s, but not everyone started in the '90s, right? Like especially kind of like I guess our generation of jujitsu. But um, man, that's crazy. That's that's amazing. That's really cool. But um, I mean, yeah, 
some of us have weird and wild ways that we came to jiu-jitsu. <laughs> yeah. How did you come to jiu-jitsu, Diana? Yeah, so I actually became a PT before I started jiu-jitsu. I graduated physical therapy school in 2017, um, and I've been active my whole life. Like, I played a bunch of sports when I was little. Um, in PT school, like, all my classmates were, like, weightlifting and all, so I've been strength training for a while. Uh, but after I graduated from PT school and started my first job in, like, South Orange County um, in Southern California, I was kind of looking for something that was a little bit more challenging rather than just weightlifting because I felt like I didn't have anything that was, like, a goal. Like, a really, like, I wasn't goal-driven in strength training. Um, so one day I just walked into some a random MMA gym and I saw them, like, doing, like, cardio kickboxing. I was like, oh, this, this would be fun, right? So I did a couple classes there and it was pretty chill, but then I remember one day I walked in and I saw these people wearing like these these weird things, right? And then they were just rolling on the ground. And I was like, what is that? That looks really interesting. Um, and at that time, one of the instructors was like, oh, I'm doing some privates. Um, if you guys want to do semi-private classes, um, this is when they'll be, so like just show up. So did a couple jujitsu classes and I was like, wow, this is actually really interesting. It was a lot of parallel that I saw between rehab, life, and jujitsu. And that's when I just kind of got hooked. So I started jujitsu in uh, fall 2018. Mm -hmm. um, been training since then and been lucky enough to meet Chris. And during the pandemic, when things were kind of closed here, like a lot of schools were, were not open, we were able to train a couple times, which has been great. Um, but then I started realizing the community of jiu-jitsu is so, I guess, underserved in a way that people aren't getting the care that they need medically with rehab, with injuries. Um, and I just saw that as an opportunity to be like, okay, well, I started jiu-jitsu, I love it, and I'm also graduated from PT school. Like, why not blend the two and really strive to um, serve this community that really needs to be served? Yeah, nice. Now, I was going to say, there's an interesting dynamic here, isn't there? Because you're a black belt, Chris, and you're a blue belt, yeah. right, Ty? <laughs> yeah. But when we put it in the physiotherapy context, it's kind of flipped, right? Because right. you are the practicing physiotherapist, and you, Chris, are studying. Yeah. So you're kind of the white belt, blue belt in the, in the, <laughs> in the therapy equation, yeah, right? that's right. So... How do we break down the power balance here, guys? Is it <laughs> when, <laughs> when I'm in the gi, who's in charge? Or is it just... It's, is all, it just... it's all settled on the mat, Jesus. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> so, like, physio discussions just degrade into just like, <laughs> I'll choke you. Yeah, I'll show you who's got a better ACL. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Cool. Well, what I wanted to do is, because I feel um, it's really important for us at Bulletproof, for all of our people to have like a, what we call like a body mechanic. Somebody who they go see to help maintain themselves, maintain the health of, because it's difficult, right? You spend all this time focused on learning jujitsu. A lot of the time, jujitsu coaches don't fully understand uh, SNC or physiology or anything, and you can't. If someone spent 15, 20 years just doing jujitsu, especially of the current generation, you can't expect them to know Oh, like how do I rehab my knee I mean if you're lucky maybe mm -hmm. I guess that's the cool thing about you guys is that you are you know you're on this physiotherapy path but also you're very passionate about jiu-jitsu in terms of do you see I guess there's there's a few questions here my, my first question relevant to this is do you think it's possible or 
would, is there any suggestion you would make for jiu-jitsu schools to run better in terms of how they approach training their students or managing injuries or anything like that? Because I feel like what I see at least is a degree of just, um, not denial, but like, oh, we don't, we don't want, or just strap it up. Mm-hmm. Oh, just roll light. Oh, you, right. you blew out your knee or just, uh, just drill. You know, like it, it, there's not often like a referral system or anything mm-hmm. like that. Whereas if you go to a normal gym, um, if someone gets injured in the gym, there's like workplace health and safety. They have to go see a physio or mm-hmm. go see a doctor or whatever. Um, is there anything that you guys are seeing or anything that you would do differently? Like you guys are going to run your own gym. How would you approach it? Or how do you think it should be approached to be better for jiu-jitsu practitioners? I think there, there's a couple things, uh, and that's a great question, right? Because we're, we're looking at kind of like that gap that we're seeing in keeping people on the mats, keeping schools, uh, you know, students coming in and, and not having the lulls in training. And so um, one of the things that I think is going to be really important is education for like academies and, and coaches and all that of, of just teaching them like uh, or at least – providing resources to say, okay, if something were to happen, what's the best case like, or best route to take rather than, like you said, uh, just drill or strap it up or something, right? So um, that's something, that's one of our goals with Open Met Physio is to be able to provide resources free on, on Instagram to be like, okay, if something were to happen, this is how you should go about it. Don't freak out and you don't have to necessarily send someone to the ER if so-and-so like, you know, point A, B, and C, all, this, all these things like are relevant. Um, the other thing that I've noticed is uh, is a better warm up. I think one of the things that, like with the old school jujitsu warm up of running around in circles for like 15 minutes, like that is a great way to increase your blood, your uh, your heart rate, right? But then at the same time, there are more efficient ways to get a good warm up that are addressing like kind of like what you guys do as well is like talk about ways to address old injuries and things that you can do but it's such on an individual basis that if we can just create something where more people can be exposed to a better warm-up then I think the rate of injury or addressing old issues it's going to be better for that and then injury rates will start to be less just because we're hitting foundational things that everybody should be able to do yeah uh, kind of going off of Diana's point, it's like I think there's three things that need to be addressed. It's like communication, um, education, and then like integration because we need to have a communication with these gym owners, with the professors or senseis or whatever you want to call them that are heading the practices. And then how do you integrate that? Because from a business perspective, like you want to keep your students on the mat. You don't want them to cancel or freeze their accounts where you're not getting business revenue. That's important just for business. Mm-hmm. And then educating that idea, but then also like the importance of like community and everything else to the instructors and the owners, and then integrating all of that because like yeah, you don't you, you know you need to change up how these warm ups are done because I've been at schools where they don't do any warm ups because they want to simulate what it's like on the streets, you know, like, like absolutely. It's like, Oh, you need to be prepared. You're just like, well, that's a a surefire way of getting, getting an injury. Right. And then, um, but then there's also like crossing a boundary because some professors like, ah, I've been doing this way for, you know, 10 years. I'm a black belt. I know what I'm doing. And, um, but then it's also just kind of making it smart about it because, you know, as a black belt myself and being a teacher, it's like, I want my students stronger. I want my students not having as many injuries. I want them to be 
bulletproof. You know, I want them like I want them to be super strong and be basically invincible because that's great. Who doesn't want that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these components need to just be talked with and I f- and, and communicated because I don't really feel like that's ever happened. Or and it's just kind of starting to change, which is great. But it, I think it definitely needs to start. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I. It's interesting because even uh, looking at someone like so recently, uh, Keenan Cornelius, he's mm-hmm. talking a lot more about jujitsu business, and he's breaking down like, you know, what they don't teach you. Like as he's like, you know, you can make money in jujitsu, but you have to have a successful jujitsu business. You don't have to be a world champion. But it's interesting to me, like when I, because I have friends who have schools. You know, it's like when you come up in school, uh, in, in in grade school. You have somebody who's like maybe in the same year as you, but they're not in your class. And then as you go through the grades, you see them. It's kind of like jujitsu. Like, oh, we were purple belts together, and oh, we competed a couple of times. And then over time, oh, we're black belts now. Or, oh, that person they got their own school, or they got their first stripe on their black belt. You know, like you you have this, I, I guess, like uh, generations of, of jujitsu. What I've noticed, at least with uh, the guys who I came up with uh, and women too the battle to run a small business mm-hmm. is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, even for yourselves, when you're setting out as an individual, like a business owner, that that has so many, uh, it's fraught with so many problems. <laughs> so then you're like, oh, I also have to incorporate a referral system for mm-hmm. physiotherapists. Like that's not, that's not at the top of the mind uh, for people, I think, when they start out. I think that's one of the hardest things that people are just struggling to have enough, like, cover the kids class or you know what I mean like these these are the struggles you know because I see it too you know like I you know I oversee a jiu-jitsu program so I know what it's like staffing is an issue let alone worrying about individual students injuries but I totally agree with you in terms of the the warm-up piece Mm -hmm. because think this because it's interesting a lot of people will say oh like even at absolute MMA uh, for example, with Lachlan Giles, in the pro class, you're expected to have your own stuff you're working on. When you come to a pro class, you've got to bring your own drill. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he will run a drill, but he's like, but if you have a game, you should be working on it. And that's true, right? Because jujitsu is so individual. Why don't we have individual warm-ups? You know what I mean? Like, you know, your body's so different to mine. Same with you, Chris. Like, we have our different uh, biases, imbalances, everything. And I, I personally think maybe it shouldn't necessarily be on the jiu-jitsu coach. My, my take on it is that uh, the individual should be empowered to have their own... Like, they come early, they do their own... You know, they do their ankle mobility, they do their rotator cuff work or whatever they got to do so that they can participate in the warm-up, even though, obviously, making the warm-up more specific would be better. Um, I guess you both do jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and... Let's just talk injuries, because you, you know, you, 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 come on, all right, we've got some funny smiles now, because we all get injured, right, and we try not to let that, you know, we've got this jujitsu toughness idea, Yeah. like, oh, it's a bit sore, but I could train, you know, I'll, you know, I'll roll light, whatever, right, let's just talk a little bit about injuries before we get into the more practical elements of how to, like, fix those things, <laughs> so for yourself, Diana, Tell me, have you had a, ever had any major jiu-jitsu-related injuries? I wouldn't say major. I think um, the worst jiu-jitsu injuries I had probably were 
uh, like I popped my knee when I was when one of my training partners he was taking my back and then he like yanked me backwards and my knee my foot was still underneath oh, my butt no. like when I was kind of I'm almost like a, in a turtle right mm. and they're pulling me back he went boom pulled me back and I just felt the pop in my knee um, I luckily you know like I'm able to triage that kind of stuff so when that happened I got up and I was like okay it's a little sore but it's not too bad the next day was a little sore and then it, it just took me a little time to um, kind of get back into doing some rehab stuff and then getting back on the mat um, but then and then some ankle problems but nothing like super bad so you were able to kind of rehab that yourself. yeah so like did a little rehab stuff still came to to train and then uh, made sure I had a good warm-up right Th- those things really matter and then my I adjusted my strength training a little bit on the side um, and then my knee feels pretty good like sometimes it'll get in weird positions but it's not anything that really bothers me that much anymore um, so that's kind of how I, I dealt with that that, Is knee that problem. Like a ligament tear or what Do you know the nature, um, the exact nature of honestly I feel like it was more meniscus than than ligament um, just from like just walking around in like the uh, provocative position so when I like sat back onto my heels I could feel like that pressure on the inside kind of like a test for that um, but it hasn't really like as long as I was able to rehab it a little bit myself and then adjust my strength training like everything is pretty good so far so yeah, okay. yeah that's cool yeah to this guy uh okay so jiu-jitsu, <laughs> jiu-jitsu specific injuries um how long have we got uh, sorry <laughs> how long is it i'll keep it uh, short i've been lucky that i haven't had anything severe that's taken me off for a super long amount of time no acl like no major tears i will say that i tore my ankle uh like main ankle ligament um with when i was training with Luis ponza you know the guy the huge. huge guy uh really you know tough training partner of course right uh but i did tear my ankle with him and during a foot lock and you know i was off the mats for like three months and at that time i didn't really know what i was doing to rehab i was just kind of doing generic things and we all know how that rehab process goes but uh i did that i've strained a ton of things my fingers wrists elbows shoulders like my ribs a couple of times i remember i just i don't want to call it dislocation but to the point where I was driving home and I was like <gasps> just breathing like the whole way home and I, I didn't know what I, I thought I broke something but uh done that a couple of times like meniscal injuries maybe um just things like that I've, I've run the gambit on my body so we'll see how I look when I'm 40. <laughs> <laughs> well I guess the hope is that collectively um over time as we kind of get smarter uh you know there's this whole debate like train harder, train smarter, all this stuff. Like we, we all learn what our bodies can tolerate, right? So uh, I think the misunderstanding is that um, training smart and training hard are not independent of each other or they're not like, they're not counterpoints to each other. Mm-hmm. You can train hard and train smart, mm-hmm. but managing training volume. Mm-hmm. This is a big discussion. So there's a physiotherapist in Australia, a guy called Tim Trevail. And uh, I used to train with him at Absolute MMA. He might be a brown belt now, but he's all about like load management and training volume. And this is a, a thing that I've uh, found is actually a bit of an issue is that people just don't record their training. Mm-hmm. Like, people don't write it down. People aren't even considering, oh, this week I didn't train at all. Next week I'm going to do six sessions. I'm going mm-hmm. to do like 15 hours of training. <laughs> and it's like, uh, that's dangerous like to go from like no training to like like poor harder it's, it's yeah. kind of, it doesn't make sense right like but people are like no but i gotta i gotta catch up mm-hmm. i gotta make it up and it's like 
no, that's not how it works. I, I think the difficulty is that uh, with all of us, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've done jiu-jitsu 15 years now, and, almost 15 years, and I had so many injuries. Even when I did Taekwondo, I had so many injuries. But I'm really lucky because I've got friends who are physios. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got friends who are, uh, you know, orthopedic surgeons, and, and, like, I've had really good advice. So I've been able to, like, avoid major surgeries. But I've lost so much time to... Like, I would have lost two and a half to three years to injury. So that's like 20% of my whole jiu-jitsu journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I could have trained that time, like how much better would I be at jiu-jitsu as opposed to like just sitting on the couch with an ice pack on my knee or just on drugs and <laughs> can't walk or whatever, right? And I think the hardest thing for most jiu-jitsu people, and I'm speaking generally here, is that people just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do right now, guys, is ask you your advice because here we are, in the grand United States of America, <laughs> the healthcare system is quite different here mm-hmm. to Australia. And because I just don't know, you guys have the background of being in the profession of helping treat people and you understand the kind of context of things. What I'd like you to do is just give advice. Let's say I'm here in LA, I train regularly and you know I do get a serious injury, whatever it might be. What can I do or what should be the steps mm-hmm. that I should take? Right. Um, because I, me, personally, I just don't know how it works here in the States. So if you guys could put some context around that and then maybe give people some action steps, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so um, our healthcare system here is interesting in that every single state... <coughs> Sorry. You're just has... being polite. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. And it's interesting, right? Because um, every state kind of has its own law when it comes to what we'd call direct access. So California, luckily, we have direct access, which means if you were to get injured, then you can go directly to a physical therapy office and you don't need a script or anything. You don't have to see your your doctor. um, And you'd be able to see a physical therapist like first. Um, However, not every state's like that. And uh, depending on where your listeners are, it will be dependent on the laws of whether or not they need to go to their primary care or an orthopedic um, doctor to be able to get a script in order to see a physical therapist. Unfortunately, that's the case, and uh, it really varies uh, state by state. But luckily, in California, we have direct access. So anybody that is here that gets injured or anything, they can directly come to us and say, hey, um, I hurt my knee. Can I come see you? And that's usually the advice that we would give anyways, is that if you are in a state that has direct access to if you have any type of musculoskeletal problem to go directly to a physical therapist that way, since we specialize in that kind of care, then we'll be able to skip some steps of going to see a, a, an orthopedic or going to PCP or, and then like having to schedule with the ortho, orthopedic and that's gonna take weeks and then they potentially are gonna schedule an MRI, right? MRI takes a couple weeks and then uh, by the time they, they look at the imaging, they're like, oh, we'll go see PT. And that's like six weeks, eight weeks that you've yeah. already spent trying to get to a PT. So luckily we have direct access here so you can just walk into a clinic or talk to one of us or something and then that way you'll skip like wasting eight weeks of being told just go to a physio. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anything to add on that? Yeah, uh, again, I'm not a licensed physio or anything like that. Not not yet. I got, I got another. In my professional medical opinion. <laughs> In my uh, jiu-jitsu opinion, 
uh, I think that when you have an injury, you know, you have this idea of like, oh, it doesn't feel that bad. It might go away. Or like, oh, you just hear advice from all of these people that they mean well, but they don't necessarily know what you're going through. Like, oh, I, I've hurt my ankle before. Just ice it and take a couple pills. You'll be fine in like two weeks. And you do that, for example, and you rest it for two weeks. And then two weeks, you're like, I do feel better. But then you go back and train, and then you realize that injury's still been there the whole time. And I've definitely been there. I've done that tons of times. You've heard my all my injuries. But um, I think, like what Diana was saying, is like we do have the beauty of having direct access here in California. Or if you have an area where you can go see someone, I think it's better to get your injuries addressed rather than do nothing at all. Because... Most of the time, people are paying for some kind of healthcare insurance or coverage, whatever it may be. You're paying a good amount, and you should use it. I think a lot of people don't use what they pay for mm. uh, for anything. So, you know, it's like, hey, you have an injury, just go see him. Mm. You know, like it's worth it. You'll be happier that you did it rather than just sit and do nothing at all and think like, oh, my body can do this naturally. It can. But with phys- like physical therapy or if you need to go see a different doctor or anything, it definitely speeds up your recovery, gets you back faster as you need to be. It's, a, you know, it's better to be more proactive than just sedentary yeah. on this kind of topic, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's it's really good insight. And I mean, I don't know which states have direct mm-hmm. access and which don't, so I guess it's fortunate we're here in Cali. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was speaking to Will from uh, Seek Progress, and he was telling me, and we were having this conversation before, um, that he, I think he had ruptured his ACL. Sorry if I've misremembered, Will, if you're listening. Shout out. <laughs> um, but they stuffed him around, and they wouldn't let him get an MRI. And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a strength conditioning coach. Like, I know. I, I, you know, I've, I've heard my knee. I need an MRI. And they were like, no, 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 do this, do that. And they made him wait six weeks before he could actually have a look at what was going on. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's crazy. And, I mean, he, he pays a lot of money. He lives in New York. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what it's like, you know, east to west coast or that state versus your state. But essentially, the first thing we do at Bulletproof, we always say to people, like, go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, you guys might, you might run a stress test or, like, test if the ligaments are intact or whatever it is but undoubtedly you would probably refer someone to get an MRI, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so that way you at least know what's going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. What is, see, this is, the, this is the next thing I want to say with this. Obviously people are working with the constraints of, they just might not know that they should go see a physio. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, ah, oh, I saw my doctor, my doctor gave me some pills. Like, that's what you do, right? You go to the doctor, the doctor gives you pills. Sweet. You know, and this is like a, a fairly significant problem in the U.S. healthcare system, right? Prescription drugs is like a bit of a, it's a bit, bit, quite an issue. What would you say is, what is the change you would make or you would recommend to people? So without, obviously, it's not the bias of like, hey, we're physios, come give us business, you know, like, come see us, we'll hook you up every week, 80 bucks, sort it out. Um, what change would you make or what is like even if somebody is an instructor and they've mm-hmm. got students and they're listening to this right now mm-hmm. what would be your number one piece of advice for either the individual who's been injured or someone who has a friend or student who's been injured what what, what would be the thing you would recommend they do that maybe they haven't heard before oh first step what, what you're like go do this when someone gets injured yeah that you've just been injured okay 
Yeah, so um, I think it's, it's a little bit dependent on like the severity of the injury, right? So, but if it's like something like, oh, I heard my knee pop or I rolled my ankle or something, uh, usually our bodies go through like a natural inflammation stage in the beginning, right? So um, this is, I, I guess this is a, a interesting because then we can talk about like what injuries need PT, what injuries don't need PT, right? So usually when some something like happens immediately for somebody, I usually say, okay, let your body run its course for the next couple of days and just let it, uh, like that inflammation process run because you, we can't bite the body when it does that kind of, like literally is running the way that it should naturally. Um, and then give it a few days and, and do the, the normal things that you would do to kind of help with that is if you need to take medication, that's okay. Take some medication. If you, anything that helps it feel better, right? There's that whole debate about ice, like, does it help and stuff? Like the way that we go about it is we don't force anybody to do anything. If you feel like ice helps you and feels, helps you feel better, especially in the early stages, then sure. Like, why not? Right. Um, but we would also recommend like moving as much as you can. So movement has been something that we've seen in the research over and over again that if you move early on that you're going to recover better and your injury is going to um, be able to kind of move along its course a lot faster than if you were to immobilize something. Right. So it's just to make sure you continue to move and then take whatever you need in the first couple of days to feel better. And then after that, then we can kind of discuss, okay, what's next? Because we, we've encountered multiple people that have you know, tweak something here and there, and then it doesn't, like, give it a few days and kind of goes away. Okay, well then, was it, did it necessarily need physical therapy? I don't know, right? And it's like, it's a hard question for us to answer, but at the same time, our job is to try not to catastrophize things or make things sound worse or, like, mm -hmm. make it, um, like, a nocebo, like, oh, this yeah. is really bad, oh, oh my so god, terrible. yeah, you're gonna, your knee's ripped apart you need to get surgery stuff you can like curse that yeah but you know what i mean like it's like we try to um, give them as much confidence as they can hey things will be okay and then if we need to chat then let's chat a little bit more we can give them resources a little later on yeah i think uh like another big point that diana brought up was yeah movement is a very important thing Right, like we get often quite stagnant, and going back to what I had said earlier, is like people are like, oh, I'll just take a rest, take some ice, take a couple of medications, and you'll be fine for in two weeks or something like that. And I think another thing is just having a conversation and reaching out, because a lot of people will kind of think like, oh, this little tweak might be fine, or some people will catastrophize things like, mm -hmm. oh, I heard this pop in my knee, oh my gosh, a pop. Like, what does that mean? Am, am I going to have an ACL anymore? Like, is it gone? You know, because people hear that all the time from injuries like the pop, ACL, meniscus. Like, is my career over? And people will stew on that. And I think for a lot of people that you meet in jiu-jitsu, it's like you're an office worker. You do construction. You're a doctor. Like, you know, there's all sorts of people that do jiu-jitsu. And to have an injury can feel quite catastrophizing. So I think having a conversation with your friends is fine. <laughs> but but just be you know weary of doing that because they'll be like oh my friend had a pop and that was he you know that was six months ago after his ACL surgery and blah blah you know whatever it was and and friends while they can be good meaning can also catastrophize things I think going and having a conversation and not letting that conversation dictate everything is important like Diana said like oh reach out to 
unless something like a medic, uh, medical person have a conversation with them. doesn't mean that, like, you know, their word is the law. Like, mm -hmm. oh, hmm, yeah, I heard a pop. Like, you had an ACL tear. It's like, did you get an MRI? Do you know I had an ACL tear? Mm -hmm. Does a pop mean something? And like Diana just said, like, oh, sometimes a pop is just a pop. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll go away. Like, you, you know, maybe that inflammation will go down and you'll actually feel better. And it was like, oh, maybe it just, maybe I'm just getting old, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. And so... I think just having a conversation, trying to like relax and going and figuring that out is important rather than like, oh, it's an end all be all because our bodies are very, very tough and we sometimes only need a little bit of work to fix it. Yeah. I think those are both really good points. Actually, I armbarred the hell out of one of my training partners and his elbow <laughs> cracked oh, and God. I was like, this is like a couple months ago and I was like really worried. And he was like, no, nah, man, it feels better. <laughs> like, yeah, like, it, was, it was like, it cracked. And I think we just like maybe broke a bit of a calcification. Or whatever. It was like, oh, man, yeah, yeah. my range is so good. <laughs> like, I'll send you the invoice. <laughs> I'm the elbow practor. No, I've seen that before. Like a, a training partner who had like a nerve thing. Yeah. And then they were, they got caught in like a, I think a bone arrow or something. Mm -hmm. And then like, a, so they got an injury from jujitsu, they had some nerve pain going down their arm, and then they went and trained anyways, right, of course, and got caught in a bone arrow, didn't tap, and then felt cut, 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 right, and his, his neck got up, he was like, it's gone. Oh my God, my pain is gone. It's like a jujitsu adjustment, you know? <laughs> it's really funny. That's bad. Uh, so good. I mean, I think, I'm, I'm with you, I think uh, we're far more resilient than we probably give ourselves credit for because we're taught, hey, you're fragile, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the, the counterpoint to that within jiu-jitsu is people, when people become jiu-jitsu people, mm -hmm. th there's this like, there's like a toughness thing that's, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's cultural or where it comes from, it might be your coach or something like that where it's like, nah, like don't tap or like fight to the death and like, you know, these, these kind of, ideas right you know whatever you could say it could be like a like a hyper masculine or a hyper like just like a I, I know I don't even want to attribute it to that but it's like a, a, a gym culture thing of like oh like oh, we don't tap or yeah. oh yeah like oh yeah I'm injured but whatever like on the streets yeah whatever you know this kind of chat like I, I think the difficulty and like you're saying, education, right? Like, Chris, like, the education is important. If a coach is not very well educated, you know, it's like the same thing. Like, if parents are not well educated, it will be hard for that value to be instilled in children mm -hmm. unless the children get to hang out with other smarter people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And this right. isn't even like, you know, and I'm not saying coaches are bad parents, but they kind of, they kind of, you know, they kind of are. <laughs> you know, when you see those terrible parents at sporting events being like, fucking oh. kick him, Johnny. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it's like under five soccer, yeah, like, yeah. come yeah, on, yeah. right? Just but, <laughs> but, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm maybe guilty of that as a coach, like, on the sideline coaching, like, fucking kill that. Yeah. But uh, I get a bit carried away. But I think um, what I want to ask you guys now is, like, get a little bit of insight of, mistakes that you see whether it be um, people early in the jiu-jitsu journey because obviously you've been on jiu-jitsu path Chris for a while and you've not been in it quite as long but obviously you, you know you've got your own experience um, Diana what would you say is well, let's just pair it back to like the number one mistake mm -hmm. you see jiu-jitsu people 
making mm-hmm. that is like something that they could change or you would recommend? Mm-hmm. And, and this is within the context of their injuries? And yeah, their... people getting injured or, or, or people, uh, the, the common mistake that then leads to injury. I guess is what I would say. Like, what's the the one thing you see? You're like, God, I wish people would just stop doing that shit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> there's. Like, I, I got like. Man, sometimes I think what I see. I, I gotta. I, I have to feel like I have to say too. <laughs> it's like there's a. Okay. So um, yeah, yeah. I'll let you. That's all right. <laughs> as I, as I've coached over the years and seen my own training partners come in, I think that. One mistake I see is that people will show up late to class, which is fine. Like, you got your own life to live, but then they don't. Unfucking acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, give me 200 push ups, um, which is actually what I almost would want them to do because they come onto the mats, they stretch left, they stretch right, and they jump right in. I don't, I don't know if they've had a warm up, but I, like, they need to warm up, they need to do something because they're like, ah, I've missed class, I'm late, we're doing pohada on the mats right now, we're training, I need to jump in, I need to assert my dominance, like, I am the purple belt that is late to class, or whatever, right? And, and I feel like that's how a lot of people will get injured, is just not being warm, thinking they need to jump in and go for it, when they need to dial it down, check their ego, and just start training like normal, get a warm-up round in or something, warm your own body up, and then train as you would. But don't just jump into it because that's tough. Like even the pressure of showing up late and, uh, you know, people are going through drills already. Like even doing drills, you might get injured, you know? It's like maybe you're doing inversions or closed guard things and maybe your hips and groin aren't warmed up and you get like, you know, that pushed, right? That pressure there and it's like, oh, something popped and I didn't like it. Well, now you've got an injury because you didn't warm up. Right. Uh, I guess, and simply the other thing is just make sure you tap a little earlier. It's it's all right. It's just a tap, like you know, it's not worlds, it's not ADCC. Just tap and move on. Like learn from it. It's almost creates like a better environment for you to like think, oh, I got caught in that armbar. Maybe I need to start working on my defenses and stuff yeah, like that. Sure. Yeah, I think the the number one thing because since I've only been doing jujitsu for a couple of years, I've seen a lot of people like start right is uh, just doing too much too fast. So it's like training every single day when they get started. They're training going hard every single day when they start. And like, oh, I'm waking up and my neck hurts so bad. And I think we have to remember that like, jujitsu is so unique in that we get into so many positions that like normal people don't get into. Especially like if you think about like inversions and even simply like laying on your back and moving on your back is like most people don't do that on a regular basis. So if you're doing something where you're the novelty of it is what makes people want to go super hard, but I think we have to remember that just like like anything else, taper into it. Because once you're able to, able to do that, then you're going to be able to have less injuries as you go rather than like going super hard for a couple months and then getting super injured. I mean like, oh, what happened? I don't know what happened. I just, you know, had someone smash me like every day for like the last three months and then now my neck hurts, you know? So. Yeah. Um, that that's my pizza. 100%. Yeah, yeah all of some of the uh, relationships I've been in, I've come home bruised, like red in the face, hair a mess, and they're like, what have you just gotten into? And I'm like, oh, just, you know, casual day with the the people, you know, and they're like, uh, are you okay? And the next morning, I'm not able, I'm stiff, it hurts to walk, and they're like, man, you should take a break. No, I'm good, I love this. <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, look, 
But it's the honeymoon period, it guys. Honeymoon when you period, start, yeah. you get the froth, right? Because uh-huh. in Australia, it's just froth. It's just like, <laughs> I gotta train, man. Like, I just found this thing. I fucking love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and high. it's like, yeah, what is it? Uh, I can't remember the quote. I think it's from Fight Club. He's like, uh, it's like, oh, no, it's, maybe it's not from Fight Club. It's just talking about like the, the thing that you love. You, you either kill the thing you love or it kills you, oh, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it, that's it. It's kind of like that. It feels to me that like, there is a masochistic element in jiu-jitsu. Totally. It, like, jiu-jitsu attracts those kind of people. <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, no, 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 no. I think I'm stating the obvious. <laughs> but, um, but what I'm saying with that is that uh, people don't mind, like, people who get into jiu-jitsu and they kind of get the bug, like, provided they get past that first kind mm-hmm. of three to six months, mm-hmm. it just draws you in, whether it's the, the mind game, the physical contact, whatever it is, and it's like, it, there's an addictive quality to it because it's it satisfies so many elements like mm-hmm. the problem solving, the flow state, the fucking adrenaline, the the intensity of it. Like nothing really matches that, really. I mean, it, obviously we're speaking as devotees and converts and uh, jujitsu addicts. Um, we're so much so that we've turned it into professions. Um, really, I I. I I, I agree with you guys entirely. And I guess what we want to do is give people tools to be able to like run this path better. Mm-hmm. Because no one was giving me advice when I was a white belt. Mm-hmm. I was just getting bashed. Even as a blue belt, it was still kind of like just show up, show up more. And I was, blue belt was actually the time I got my most injured, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Purple belt was like probably my biggest phase of training, like just full time training. And then, yeah, I guess the thing with brown belt is it was like more intensity, mm-hmm. like not training as much, but more intensity. What, there's people listening to this who have just started mm-hmm. or they're early in the journey mm-hmm. and maybe they're already carrying some injuries. <clears throat> this is where I, I guess I would like to, just from your own experience, not just as physiotherapists, but as jiu-jitsu practitioners who've gone through the froth Phase. She's, that, still, she's still in the she's, still, she's deep. She's oh, come on. Let's just drill on the tiles. <laughs> um, I guess what is just some good advice? Just, you know, just something. It doesn't have to be a number of things. It could be one thing. It could be, no, it could be a couple of things. What would just be some simple piece of advice which you have discovered in your own journey or just recommendations you would make for someone who's just started out in jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. who maybe hasn't had a major injury yet, but maybe it's coming. Mm-hmm. What is something that you would recommend uh, as, as a guideline or something for them to think about in their approach? Well, I think the first thing would be if you're carrying like injuries from the past is to make sure you get that started taken care of. Because uh, what could happen is those injuries can start to accumulate and then that's where it's going to lead into something, you know, a, a way more severe injury if you get caught in a bad position in jiu-jitsu. The other thing is kind of what we were talking about before is uh, kind of ease into it, like take uh, maybe one, once a week to twice a week and then three times a week. Let your body adapt to the stress of jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think that's one thing that in the beginning when I first started, I was training like every day. Like obviously, right, everybody does that. But I was training like seven days a week and I'd be like, wake up and my neck is so stiff. But I think if I started off when I just trained like a couple days a week and then slowly started ramping up more and more, 
my body would have gotten adapted to the stress a little bit better. And then eventually, like, I wouldn't have to deal with, like, a month of just, like, neck, severe neck pain and then have to figure out how to get, get through that. Um, but... Yeah, my advice is actually very similar to Diana's. Like, as I'm going into uh, physical therapy school right now, we're learning periodization. So, like, how you program people for exercises. Like, oh, you know, two days a week, three days a week, whatever your schedule is, you're going to do these exercises, blah, blah, blah. So you're being routine about it. You're being smart about your dosage, your volume, whatever you're, you're doing. And when, I, I definitely wouldn't have listened to that when I was, <laughs> like, for, you know, jiu-jitsu. It's like, oh, what, you're telling me to come only two or three times a week? Like, how am I ever going to get good off mm. of two or three times a week? Like, I don't know anything right now. I'm getting smashed. I need to come more times so I learn more. Mm. And then, obviously, there's no wonder you're getting beat up because you're going so much. But when I was thinking of the mentality, I was purple belt. I think I was, I would have blue and purple belt. I would do three a days. Mm. I'd do, do jiu-jitsu yeah. three times a day. Yeah. I'd often do that two or three times a week. Mm. And that's not even counting. Like, I would do it almost every day. Mm. And I think I was just, I was getting really, really good, but I was also getting a high rate of burnout. Like, yeah. I would have to almost feel like I had to take a week off. And I was like, oh, there's no way I want to take a week off. I'm not going to get good. I, you know, I'm just getting, I'm like, I was frothing all over the place, <laughs> you know? But I, when I was doing that, I was so deep into, like, watching videos on YouTube. Mm. And right at that time, Bouchesha was at the height of his, like, he was just, you know, he's the man. Bouchesha's the man. And I was watching an interview, I don't know if it was in Portuguese or something, but Bouchesha was saying, like, he had a question from an interview saying, like, oh, how many times a week do you train? He goes, oh, I train two, maybe three times a week. And that blew my mind. I was like, Bouchesha, I'm training three times a day. You're training two or three times a week and you're the GOAT? Like, what do you, I don't understand that. And obviously, you know, he's been training for a long time. He's, that's a full-time job for him. But he's, like, the best, you know? And I realized, like, oh, like, well, what do you do other than those two or three times of training jiu-jitsu? He goes, oh, I do some strength training. And I didn't really understand that at the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to be technical. And I guess, you know, Bouchesha's just staying strong. But now that I'm doing physical therapy and understanding a little bit more of the S&C world, the strength and conditioning, I realized that is so important to keeping your body healthy to be able to manage two or three times a week. And maybe he's doing really intense days. Maybe he's just doing some drilling. But that is sufficient enough that I've learned that if you go two times a week minimum, that is sufficient for like some linear growth for the most part. If you go three times a week, I think that's enough where you're going to get really good growth and you just have to be consistent. If you get some strength training in there, maybe a day or two in the week as well, that'll help supplement things and you'll feel strong and then you're still working out. So I think that's really it. Like you just need to manage your amount of training and be smart. And hey man, if Bouchesha is only going two or three times a week, that should be good enough for you too, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I think possibly uh, the misunderstanding there, possibly, and I'm not saying for you, but Bushesha didn't always train three times a week. There was a time when he did train 15 times a week, probably, right? When yeah, he was probably. blue or purple belt, right? Because, yeah. I, like, for example, Leonardo Nogueira, who actually beat Bushesha in the absolute back that. in, like, oh, I'm so close, right? It was at yeah. the death. This is before Bushesha kind of hit his, his peak. Yeah. They used to be teammates. With no purple belt. So I know uh, Lau really well from Alliance. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how they used to train. And I think this is like another example. Like, for example, so some people out there, um, there's a guy called Kid Dale 
who's from Australia, mm -hmm. but now lives in LA. Yeah. And the thing is actually, Kit yeah. is very good at jujitsu. And Kit is actually an excellent problem solver, even though, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't think Kit is necessarily the best coach of all time. As an athlete, especially when I was coming up, he dominated. He beat so many guys, like at blue, purple, and brown belt, he was definitely one of the best guys to come out of Australia. Mm -hmm. And even now as a black belt, like oh, yeah. Kit, Kit's an amazing practitioner. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what I would say is this, Kit came out with this thing about like no drilling. Mm. Right, because he, when he was a brown belt, yeah. Keenan and the Meows were like winning everything, right. and all they do is drill yep. hard all the time. Kids like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'll come up with something where I don't have to drill. But what a lot of people don't appreciate is, like, I knew Kit when he was a blue belt. Like, we were at the same gym when he was a white belt, right? Mm -hmm. I knew him as a purple. Uh, you know, he, he drilled a lot. Mm -hmm. he, what, he, there was a critical point where he actually practiced mm -hmm. a lot of skill. Because he wasn't interested in what the coach was doing. He just focused on what he was doing. And he was drilling. He was doing specific training. He was doing heaps of stuff to work his skills, mm -hmm. right? Now, I, I, you know, whatever your approach may be, everyone learns differently. But I think that it, there is a critical point where you do have to do a lot of reps sure. to get the skills up. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's a way to do it without getting injured. Right. And, and for the best part, <laughs> we, we don't know that. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's not very satisfying to be like, I went to class, I did the warm-up, I did some drills, and I went home. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally, like, totally. You know, it's, it's not very satisfying. Mm -hmm. So, um, look, guys, you have a unique insight, mm -hmm. and you are also, you know, you're looking to help grapplers be physically better. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people can take a lot from the stuff you said. Is there any, like, kind of... Um, parting remarks or is there anything that you would like to just say that you think is relevant for everyone who's listening whether it's from a jiu-jitsu perspective mm -hmm. or like a uh, a physio perspective is there anything that you'd just like to share with everybody listening yeah I think um, if I were to think of one thing that is uh, something that we like consistently reiterate to not just our clients but also in the jiu-jitsu world what Chris tells me and and all our professors tell us is that these things are going to take time. Mm. And um, when we think about jujitsu, I think it's everyone's trying to like rush the process. I want to get to the next spot. I want to do this. Where they're having a hard time, like really just being in the moment and understanding that hey, I just have to be patient and do the work, and things will get to where they need to be when it's time. That's like the very similar to rehab, where. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's just been a culture in our society of that if I go see my PT, they're going to fix it in one visit or they're going to fix it in two visits. And then if it's not getting better in two weeks, like I'm, I'm, I'm just like my life is over, you know, and we get those a lot of those clients before saying, you know, they go see a PT, they've tried it for a month and then nothing got better. And so physical therapy doesn't work. Um, the hard truth is that anything that requires your body to change is gonna take time. Like if we think about how long it took for some of these issues to come on, pain over time, it's years. And it's unrealistic to think, okay, I'm going to get this addressed in a week, right? So it's almost like we're re-educating our clients saying, look, I'm gonna be as honest with you as I can that you've accumulated all these injuries over 15 years. 
that's not going to just change overnight. Mm. We have to take a look at how your body has changed over those 15 years, and then we can kind of figure out a better way to approach it. And you need to just be a little patient, put in the work, and the progress will come. So part of it is just like that educational piece that it's going to take time that people don't really like to hear. But at the same time, when you do really put in the time and you put in the work, our most successful clients are the ones that trust the process. And then a couple months into it, they're like, wow, I would have never gotten this result if I didn't say, all right, I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to do the work. And now I'm back to jujitsu. Like it's like they they haven't been training for a year because of all these injuries, back pain and all that. And then we were able to kind of dive into what they needed, took a couple months to really build up their foundation and then they're back to training and now they're like fighting again so um if that's that's a piece of my piece of advice or whatever i would tell people is just take the time do the work and the progress will come awesome yeah i think those were seriously excellent points because jujitsu it's a it's a slow burn right mm-hmm. like a black belt takes on average about 10 years to get so, and just like an injury, nothing in a black belt, you're not going to be able to pay one way and like yeah. get it right away, right? Pay for a black belt. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't want anything watered down here. No way. Especially not physical therapy in your body, right? Oh, yeah. um, I think my advice with regards to jujitsu or even physical therapy in your body is that keeping your mental health in check is very important because, you know, we, we have this machismo and everything in jujitsu and um, you sometimes have this machismo about your body that like, uh, you know, it's going to be fixed. I'm fine. I'm, un- I'm unbroken. But the moment that you become broken and that you're not able to do something or your ego gets absolutely smashed by that person that you are expecting to completely beat. It's like, just keep in mind that like, you know, every day is a new day. It's going to be fine. Like, you know, you have to just accept whatever happens to you. Like if you try to keep pushing away that like this injury isn't my injury it didn't happen to me it could never have happened to me I could have never been smashed by that blue belt when I'm a brown belt like you know it's like there's an ego that gets involved and letting go and accepting whatever happens is kind of the first step of like your mental health and like just being okay with it it's fine you're going to be fucking fine right and uh that's going to help you a lot as you go through jujitsu as well because you're going to try different things and you know those different things are different than your a game and you're going to get smashed and it's not going to be fun injuries are not going to be fun it's going to take time away from the things that you love to do but trust in the process you have people there for you reach out to them have conversations and just be vulnerable because it happens to everybody you're not fucking special I'm sorry like you're not you're not special um I had surgery recently it was my first surgery and I did not have a good time with it like it worked out fine I'm good now but I'm not going to lie I had some challenges getting through it but it's okay I've had injuries I've had these kinds of things and I've had friends like Diana I could talk to and other health professionals and it's all fine like I I definitely have had mental ups and downs in jiu-jitsu like you'd be a liar if you said that you didn't Um, you'd frustrated in the shower that you could have done that one guard pass against that one person you're like I could have had it that was it you know it's like a little frustration sadness depression like happiness excellence whatever you feel right Um, it's there just don't you know accept it it's part of it you'll move on you'll get your black belt it'll be fine you'll heal you'll be fine yeah it's all good we just got to stay on the path, right? Yeah. yeah. Stay on Literally. the path. Yeah, it's, path. it's a challenge. So um, for everybody out there, I mean, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Sure. But um, 
what is the best way that people can get in contact with you in terms of consulting you as physios or getting your advice or anything like that? You're about to get, you're about to get bombarded, people. Oh, we yeah, the, the servers, <laughs> the servers are going to crash as soon as this episode goes live. It's just like, oh, the website's down again. <laughs> What's the best way for um, uh, our people to contact you? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at openmat underscore physio. Um, that's probably the easiest way to contact us is just to send us a DM. And then you can also visit our website, www.openmatphysio.com. You can also kind of look at our services, and we have a contact uh, page as well. So, Awesome. Diana, Chris, you're both awesome people. Appreciate the hell out of you. Thank you for uh, making the time today. And I uh, look forward to uh, doing a round two in the, uh, the not-so-distant future. Great. Thank, Thank you. you so much, AT. Thanks, guys.